All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 Fan, Scott Britton Gunning. Uh, if you're doing the scoreboard watching now with the Toronto Blue Jays, mm-hmm. I think your focus is solely late night on the Seattle Mariners. Mariners. It's the, it's the best kind of scoreboard watching. You just get to wake up and do it. You know, what, yeah. What happened? Yeah. Cool. I guess, yeah. Yeah, it's tough to wake up and just watch a Mariners victory and be like, eh. Yeah, but I mean, on definitely the other not doing that. On the other side of things. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No, definitely not. Uh, Six straight victories for the Mariners. Uh, They're two games back of the Toronto Blue Jays right now. uh, Somebody texted it earlier today that Julio Rodriguez uh, doing that thing with the ball. It was like like Gunnar Stahl getting robbed by Julie the Cat Gaffney in the second Mighty Ducks (laughs) movie. And that just hits my wheelhouse perfectly, both because of the movie and because the guy's name is Gunnar. So Mm -hmm. I love it. And we have Morosi on the line. Yes, we do. We got John Morosi on the line. Uh, pleased to be joined by John Morosi, of course, every week and all weeks. Good morning, John. How are we doing? Justin and Brent, uh, good morning. Happy week after the trade deadline. Great to be with you guys as always. Thank you. Uh, no, thank you. Have you calmed down yet? Like, I mean, not that you were, you know, getting worked <laughs> to the bone here, but you were getting worked to the bone. Like, deadline time, always crazy for you guys. John, your world, John spends the has season your world being settled down just like 2% at least, John? Well, here, here's, how, here's how much I love uh, being on the air with you guys. I, <laughs> I just got back yesterday, so I'm, I'm speaking to you live now from Flushing, Queens. We've got uh, the Mets and Cubs tonight on MLB Network. And on Monday, I was in San Diego for uh, Dodgers Padres. And had a nice, nice tidy little flight from San Diego to JFK yesterday, and uh, and here we are. So I'm I'm glad to be. Uh, I basically said I, I need to get back adjusted again to Eastern Time Zone. What what better way to do it than to get up bright and early and talk a little ball with you guys? That, there you that's go. My plan today. I'm glad I'm glad we can serve a couple purposes, or we can serve purposes. Uh, for each other. Uh, okay, so I don't. There is right. there is a comeback player of the year award. Uh, is you say Kikuchi going to win in the American League, John? He, he deserves it certainly, and obviously, what a what a tough luck loss for for the Jays last night. But just I think his his consistency has been one of the more remarkable things that we've seen. And again, he's he's not going to go nine innings a, a lot of the time, but that's not what you need him to do. You need him to be quality and and to to pitch the way that he did last night. And I'm, I'm thrilled for him because I, I really think that he, he took that, just that, that challenge on last off season, adapted, changed his approach a bit. I, I think that the pitch mix has been different. You just, you can tell his overall energy on the mound is different. Everything is different. And so I've, I've been really impressed by him and, and what he's done for this Jays rotation this year. That's, that to me is you look at the last couple of days and, the, the Jays pitching as it shut down the Guardians. I think Monday's game was a huge one, and, and for them to find a way to win that game after Ryu left early. But I think last night, again, the, the story was probably a, a, a tough night offensively for the Jays, but more importantly, Kikuchi's continued excellence in, in his role. And I, I, I still think that this team, they, they've got a ton of potential, and, and a big reason why is what Kikuchi has done this season. Yeah, it's certainly uh, certainly been the uh, bounce back they needed from him, especially given everything that's happened with with Alec Manoa th- this year. You know, and you you mentioned the the tough tough day for the offense yesterday, uh, punctuated by a third inning in which they uh, had uh, the bases loaded with just one out and couldn't scratch anything across. Uh, that's the type of thing that's been frustrating. But I'll be honest, you know what Kikuchi has been making me think of, uh, about a lot this year, John, has been 
Dalton Varsho. Like, we were so critical of Kikuchi, rightfully so, all last season. He just struggled. He did not have it. There was some bounce back and a bullpen roll at the tail end of the season. But I do wonder if this is a lesson, and it's not just for us, it's not just for the Blue Jays, but it's kind of people across baseball that in a game of failure, there are going to be years like this. And just the bounce back year Kikuchi is having has been making me think about Varsho a lot, given how much he struggled in his first season as a Jay. Good point, and I think that for for Varsho, I, I'm still a, a big believer in his athleticism. I, I know I know that it's been a a tough a tough year for him, and certainly defensively, he's still been been re- really really good out there. But you're right, and and adjustments can be difficult, and, and especially year one in, in a new place when there are expectations. And I think Dalton, you can tell he wants it so badly, and, and he's got a lot of great teammates around him that I think have really supported him through it, and. And yet, the the game has a way of finding you. the The big moments have a way of finding you when when you're struggling, and that's been the case for him for a lot of the season. So, it's what I think the last week or so has really illuminated is just is how much this team relies on Bo, and, and Bo Bichette is is the focal point of this lineup. He is their best player. I, I know Vladdy still can be, but this year it is Bo clearly and. I think without him, you just look at the, a game like last night and say and say that if if you've got Bo in the lineup or if you've got a couple more guys clicking, you win that game. And and that's just I, I think the reality of where they're at right now. And to me, the big picture here is is that they're just now only one game ahead of of the Mariners in the loss column. And and whether it's Varsho or. Springer, uh, obviously Kiermaier now is on the IL because of the the cut that he sustained at Fenway. They they can't have many more games like last night because Seattle is going is not going away. Their, their pitching is too good. I know Seattle just put Brian Wu on the injured list, but the the Mariners' pitching is is one of the most consistent forces in the game right now, and the, their winning streak continues. And remember this, this is the other piece of the overall dynamic to keep in mind here is that Seattle has the tiebreaker because even though, uh, so it was a three and three season series between the teams, but the next step is intra division record. And the Mariners have a very strong record within the AL West. And we know very well, it's been well documented. The Jays struggles in the AL East. So if these two teams finish tied for the last spot, the Mariners go to the dance and the Blue Jays stay home. And that's that's the reality of it right now. And again, it's just a one game difference in the loss column. So it's it's becoming a not not that I had to remind anybody of this, but it's it's becoming a very nervous time and there's a whole lot of schedule left for a team in Seattle that their pitching is so consistent that they've got a chance to keep taking weeks where they win five out of seven games that 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 can be the norm for that team once they get going and and they're going right now yeah we've seen teams uh respond negatively to uh the trade deadline and what happened at the trade deadline even when there was ambition shown at the trade deadline and we've seen the mariners respond very very well uh i don't know if it's coincidental uh but the mariners have been certainly very very hot and as you mentioned not going anywhere it's going to be a dogfight even if you get three wins at Fenway Park. It doesn't make the path all that much easier because of the Mariners. Uh, so Kikuchi has been brilliant since the All-Star break. Uh, MLB best, 1.25 ERA. It seems like he's competing for his job, and you guess he's competing internally with the likes of Alec Manoa, Hunjin Ryu. 
Uh, but it might not just be a meritocracy in terms of starting games because you might not need to go that far into your rotation if the Blue Jays get into a playoff uh, and start rolling out, you know, a more curated approach from a starting position. So uh, is part of this conversation and part of the competition who actually has utility in the bullpen? And suddenly there are arms in abundance in the Blue Jays bullpen, getting Hicks at the deadline, getting Yenesis Cabrera before that. Uh, Chad Green, despite a little hiccup last night, is on his way back uh, very, very soon. But if you're looking at someone else who can help the bullpen, who's the most obvious candidate from the starters role? Do you think Kikuchi might just end up in the bullpen because he's more suited for that role compared to, say, Manoa or Ryu? Mm. Yeah, it's an excellent question. And I think that that's, that's a, a legitimate possibility. Uh, it's it, it would be strange to, to take one of the best starters in, in baseball in the second half and move into the pen. But looking at the other alternatives, um, and, and again, I right now I would say this, that, that he, he may be, based on how hot he is at the moment, it, it's, <laughs> he's, he's, deserved, he's deserved the role that he's got now. And, and you're right, he, he probably would, would more easily slide into a relief role than, than Ryu, than Manoa, than Bassett. Uh, I think when you look at the, the other options to, to do that, um, and, and would he be an, an electrifying bridge guy in the middle of a game to come in in the fourth or fifth and then take you to the closer? He, he could certainly do that. Uh, and, and obviously the, the playoff schedule was just released yesterday, and, and with there being the, the, the appropriate number of off days in there, it does make you wonder – what what that would look like, and certainly you need to, you definitely need to have three starters planned out for the wild card round. I mean that that's it's best of three three days in a row. Um, it, it's a really interesting question. I I do think though to your point, you, you look at the way that he's pitched and and how adaptable he is. I I would trust in his ability to make that transition probably better than almost anybody else in that rotation. So. Um, it, it's almost like the versatility that he has could eventually result in him having a different assignment, which which he doesn't deserve at the moment. Uh, and, and who knows if he keeps having a a one point something ERA since the since the All Star break, uh, maybe just on merit and and the reality of how well he's pitching, the Jays would have to just put him in the rotation of the playoffs anyway because of just how how well he's pitching. So. We will see things typically have a way of working themselves out and, and decisions are made uh, based on what the, what the reality is at that time. But uh, I think you're spot on that, that when you look at the other options, I would not necessarily want to bring Manoa into the sixth inning of a game just, just based on his, his comfort level and, and the work that he's done just to, to, to try to get comfortable in what he's doing right now. Uh, and I, I think Kikuchi, at the very least, has earned himself a spot on the playoff roster. It's just a question of, of what exactly that role would be. Yeah, definitely want him on the uh, playoff roster. Fan morning show here, Gunning and Cuthbert, talking to John Morosi. And, you know, it's, it's, I even like a scenario, well, I don't, I don't love it because you need to get to a third game. And if you could just take care of business in the first two, you'd like it. But I wonder if there's a scenario where, okay, Kikuchi is your planned game three starter. 
unless something goes squirrely with Barrios in the second game or whoever you have on the mound there, and then you can use him to keep it on the rails. And then because they still have Bassett, in theory, just kind of sitting there, it's amazing what pitching depth uh, can do for you. And yeah, I think, you know, we all want Alec Manoa to make strides, but uh, I I don't want to know what I would have to see between now and the end of the regular season for me to feel comfortable kind of putting him in a reliever spot. It just feels like such a big ask for a guy who's had so much going on this year. You know, we were talking about the offense and you touched on Bo there clearly the guy who's been carrying the torch for this team offensively you know you've seen this before not just with Bichette but what do you think it does to a team to kind of lose a hitter like Bichette I mean it's not just that he provides a lot of the pop but he's on base so often he's giving the team their most competitive at bats what do you think it's done to the Jays to to lose Bichette and conversely what do you think it'll do to them uh should he come back somewhat soon uh, Atkins giving an update that was uh, pretty positive yesterday Right. I think that well, we look around the major leagues right now and look at what the Yankees have been without judge. And even since Aaron came back, they've not been the same team. And I think that it's, it, it is a great compliment that I'm giving Bo that I'm, that Aaron judge was the first name that came to mind in terms of uh, a player who left the lineup and, and, and really changed the entire team. And and then even when Judge has come back, not not maybe 100. percent What that has done in, in terms of how, how the rest of the group is still trying to make up for his loss and and his production. And to me, Bo, it, it's, he's obviously a different hitter than than Judge, but but what Bo does so well is is putting the ball in play, keeping the line moving, and, and a great hitter in the true sense of the word in terms of what he what he does with the bat where he, he can obviously hit for power when needed but he can also drive the ball to right field if you need he's just so he's so savvy up there it can execute any kind of at bat that you need and and that that's what the Jays are missing right now so sorely is he he was the the, the fulcrum of the entire lineup and and without him it's just not it's not the same group at all uh, so I, I I do think that getting him back will be crucial, just the, the quality, quality of the at-bat that he puts out there. And the fact that it's happening so quickly tells me that 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 the Jays are, are pretty optimistic that he's going to be able to be at his, at his relative strength or at least something close to it. Uh, because now, now you're beginning this stretch where it's, it's on. I mean, this is, this is, it's a sprint to the end, but it's a long sprint to the end. This is this is like trying to sprint uh, an 800 meter uh, race. I mean, it is it's a long sprint, and and I think that for him to be able to 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 do this and come back, I think is is a really good sign. Whenever that happens, and and I think it just further further illuminates. And last night's game does too. You lose the game one nothing when your starter's great, and and you just start saying to yourself. Man, if if Bo's in the lineup, how different is everything? And he changes the whole team. It's why he's the team MVP this season. Is is that his absence is is apparent to everybody what you're missing? And I think now that the next step is going to be, you know, for Bo to manage whatever happened with 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 the knee and and however he's able to give his best effort going forward is to, you know, not probably overdo it early because he wants to win so badly. I think that. That that's psychology, and that's where having a manager and John Schneider who knows him so well and can can relate to to Bo's journey in the game so tightly for so many years. I think those conversations will be really important about making sure that you don't overdo it running to first base, 
those types of things that I think are going to be crucial for Bo here in the next several weeks. Uh, the Blue Jays were missing Bo last night. They were also missing Davis Schneider, who, of course, is on the heels of one of the greatest weekend debuts uh, that I've seen. Uh, where does Schneider's weekend at venue at Fenway, excuse me, rank most among the most impressive debuts that you've covered uh, in your time in baseball, John? Yeah, it's it's a great point, Justin. What a great story, and and everything about him. I I, I love too on on MLB Network. Uh, my colleagues is talking about even the even the mustache, just like how how professional he's looking. Uh, first weekend in the show, and he's at Fenway. Uh, my goodness, just I think for me it it shows first of all uh, a healthy organization that they bring up somebody from the minor leagues, and we've talked about him. At, at different times on the show during the season about what he could do and, and his overall potential and how he's doing it at the major league level right away, which I just love it. And, and the, the confidence level, just, I think that's, that's a, it's a very positive develop, development for your ter- entire organization that when you bring up somebody and, and he's performed at the minor league level and, and you've got a major league club that needs offense, it, it honestly, not only is it something that David Schneider deserved, but it sends the right message to the group that, hey, we're watching. You know, we're watching the guys at Buffalo. We're watching the guys in New Hampshire that this is, this is a team that, is, that, that promotes from within and, and trusts their own guys. And I, I love that Schneider is a later-round pick. He's had to grind his way to get there. And, and, and honestly, it's almost as though you can just tell in his interviews and, and the way he carries himself on the field, he's basically saying to everybody, Hey, I, I believed I could do this all along. It just took the baseball world a while to catch up and realize it. But now that I'm here after grinding for so many years and being a later round pick, I'm just going to have fun. And I, I really think that he, he delivered exactly what the Jays needed. And uh, I, I, I think he's got a chance to stick and, and be someone that they look to for a while as, as, a, as a reliable bat. Because uh, when, you're, when you're losing games one nothing. You need the people in there that are that are swinging the bat well, and right now that person is David Schneider. Yeah, personally, the thing I enjoyed the most most about it was I can't remember exactly what the stat is, but Danny Ainge's name just kept coming up because he had a wonderful start nice. to his very brief Blue Jays career. So yeah, that personally was the thing I enjoyed the most about it was all the Danny Ainge references. But teams need a shot in the arm. Like how many times do we talk about this, John? We talked about it so much last year with the home run jacket of finding these sources of life and happiness can it can be so important in a grinding baseball season. And it's not just about what he does for the team, but you know, when we were talking at the deadline, the idea of this team needs a shot in the arm it needs an injection of life. And we all were, or a lot of us were clamoring for that to be Teoscar Hernandez. And you know, this guy providing it in a kind of completely different way. Right. And I think that to that point, Brent, it's when it comes from within it, it really represents something even more profound. And, and it shows and it really is, I think, part of the, the modern game that the teams are generally trusting their own people from within, as opposed to making the big splashy move. But uh, it's it's just it's great. I, I'm, I'm thrilled for him, uh, and you can tell he he has a swing that works. He just hits. That's he's got a short, compact swing. He can drive the baseball. He's got a good approach. He he the the, the greatest compliment I can give to a young player is. He looks like he belongs. Looks like he looks like he's been here for a while. And and as far as that weekend, and by the way, I, I love the comparisons to Danny Age, especially when when the Jays are playing in Boston. Yeah. How about that nice <laughs> little uh, Toronto Boston comparison? But I I think that 
for me, I, I can't even really think about anybody for, for a weekend to do it at Fenway and announce his arrival quite in that fashion. You know, we're, we're never going to, I mean, this is one of those things that you just don't see and why, why the game is so great. He, he arrives to Fenway in that, in that fashion and does it like that. There's just, there's not there's really no other comparisons are coming to mind in terms of a weekend that great in a stadium that historic. Uh, it's it's pretty special and a memory that I think Jays fans are going to cherish for a long time. Uh, so they did get a win last night, the Angels, um, but it's been really, really dreary for the Angels since the trade deadline, since they pushed some chips into the middle of the table. Just what's gone wrong with the Angels and Otani? Uh, is it just as simply as they ran into a hot Mariners team? Or is there, you know, already some buyer's remorse after being aggressive as they were ahead of the deadline? I think it's probably a little bit of both in terms of running into a hot team. And, and, and apparently the algorithms that were saying to us that their chances of making the playoffs were low all along, uh, the, the algorithm must have known something, at least about the, the, the quality of, of the teams they were facing, of course. They had to face the Braves last week and then a red-hot Mariner team. And, and, and now we're starting to see maybe some of the vulnerability uh, for, for this Angels team, the bullpen let them down late against the, the, the Mariners, a grand slam by Cade Marlowe, who's a rookie who, again, uh, similar in, in some ways to Schneider, Marlowe had to step in uh, because of the Jared Kalnick injury and, and becomes a bit of a hero. So I, to me, the, the Angels have always been a good but not great team. And I, I think they made – this might be a controversial take. I think they made the right decision by, by going for it. Uh, because once you've invested this far, once you've gone this far down the path and, and you, you really have only two months left of Otani to trade, potentially the pitching side of his equation outside of the, the, the shutout in Detroit has been a little inconsistent just because of health more than anything else. And I think it would have been a difficult trade to make of exactly what you were getting back, how high the bar would have been to, to make the trade for Otani right now. And, and so um, I think the rotation for them has always been a little bit of a concern uh, in terms of just how unproven they are. But the bullpen was the greater one. They just let them down a couple of times against Seattle. And, and, and now you look at the, the lineup and I, I think they're still – there's still a lot of, of promise in this group, but but it's just not been the same. Obviously, Trout's still out, um, and, and I think that the schedule kind of caught up with them a little bit. They had played such great baseball down the stretch in, in at the end of July leading up to the deadline to really merit keeping Otani, and it's almost like they ran out of gas. And and now it's the math is looking really challenging. The Mariners are playing so well. And again, as as flawed as the as the Jays can look sometimes, but the, the the Angels are probably not going to catch them, and that's what would have to happen. You have they have to catch the Jays and the Mariners, and I just don't see that happening right now. So uh, it's very very difficult. And I think if anything, guys, one thing for us to file away for the future, MLB has written into its CBA for the future that they can move the deadline as they see fit and. Let's tune back in. Let's have this conversation again uh, during the GM meetings in November about maybe extending the deadline by seven or ten days because if they had extended it by just one week, mm. the deadline would have been last night. And and could the Angels have possibly rationalized keeping him 
if the deadline was last night, having done nothing but lose ball games for a week straight. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if they were trying to just keep it together to keep Otani and they ran out of gas, I mean, maybe the week wouldn't matter. But uh, certainly consequential, losing four against the Mariners. Now seven back of the Blue Jays, five back of Seattle. They'd have to leapfrog Toronto, Seattle, New York, Boston in order to get to the playoffs. They're one game below 500. As we speak, it's going to be difficult. Uh, John, we appreciate you coming on this morning, resetting your body clock with us. We'll do it again next week. Circadian rhythms are, are locked back in, my friends. I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, great to talk with you guys from New York here today, and uh, look forward to our next conversation as well. Thanks for the invitation to be on the show. Really appreciate it. There you go. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, John's circadian rhythm rhythms always on point. Is that you and Ailish next week? You guys actually going to be together in the time slot? Is that uh, I believe Ailish is off oh, on okay. Monday. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, Tuesday, the band will be I back just, together. Like, you know, I know how hap- like you know I I, I got bad news welcomed. for you because I think we're doing a uh, we're doing an afternoon week. Oh, a little later. It's never on bad news for me. Well. I like I, you know, I never want to be gunning for anybody's job, but you know, I love getting up at this time of day. <laughs> yes, so. yes, you do. Uh, I don't know if you'll be there then, but uh, yeah, Ailish and I will. <laughs> Generally be speaking, at who knows? some point next week. Uh, let's get to something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. There it is. Um, we got some sports biz news. We did. I was confused by it, and I think I understand that. I'm, I'm still a little confused by okay. it as well. But we do know that ESPN is finally jumping into sports gambling. I don't know what they're yeah. really waiting on. But they're getting into it. ESPN Bet will be launched. It will be actually something rebranded. It will be the Barstool Sportsbook rebranded as ESPN Bet because Penn Entertainment, which owned Barstool Sports, dumped Barstool Sports in favor of a partnership with ESPN. It gave controlling interest back to Barstool, so Barstool mm-hmm. will be Barstool again. And Penn Entertainment, which, again, is a casino that once owned Barstool, yeah. uh, will be working in line with ESPN Bet to launch something new in the fall for Americans to bet with. Uh, interesting, interesting news because a lot of moving parts, a lot of you know companies connected to Penn Entertainment, but uh, ESPN, gambling, is there... Is there anything weird about that? I guess yes. not really. Well, but- yes, but we've just uh, decided to accept it. Like, do we now remember what happened on draft night when Shams was tweeting stuff out and then he was wrong about it and draft lines were moving? Like, we just, we're going to do this, okay? Yeah. Adam Schefter has deals with books and stuff. I guess that's going to have to go away because ESPN's going to have True. their own. It's just the way of the world. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I like it, but uh, it wouldn't be the first time someone's double-dipped in a business world. Uh, won't be the last. So, yeah, a little odd. The other part of this as well, and this is like way, way bigger picture stuff. I wonder how much of this is that people who own ESPN, Disney, they're apparently looking for like a strategic partner for ESPN. So I don't know if there's maybe more there with the pen sale or the uh, pen partnership or whatever. But yeah, if you're if you're like a sports biz nut, go sink your teeth into that because there's a lot of different ways you can get your tentacles going. On yeah, yeah, it's definitely more interesting in that case. Like that's the way of the world. I mean, these networks, networks that, you know, we work for. I think mm-hmm. they're going to be involved in sports gambling. That's the way in the world now. It It is what it is. We have a hand in sports gambling. Get your picks in for the of course, wake and don't, we just don't have Schefter insight on right. the show. That's that's really <laughs> the only the only difference. But yeah, if you're if you're interested in media and business moves and you know handshake agreements mm. and going back, I mean, apparently Barstool got its company back. Yeah. Well, the guy zero dollars, zero dollars, which is pretty crazy just because they're like, oh, ESPN wants to work with us. Let's go do that. So in terms of like making money and certain people, Mm -hmm. maybe I I don't even know if the deal will work perfectly for them, but they sold their company for a 
large amount of money Very large. and got it back for zero dollars, which does sound like good business, but I guess it's a little bit more complicated than that. So you got to go into it and yeah. look at, and sort of make your own judgments because it's a it's a pretty interesting story. Yeah, the the one thing that Penn would get out of that is should Barstool de Portnoy then flip it, they get uh, apparently fifty percent of the capital gains on that. So it's it's nothing now. Should you one day profit hugely from this again, then big big tax should be due. That's pretty much the goals notes. Interesting, uh, but yeah, a lot of a uh, lot to wrap your head around for sure. A lot to wrap your head around, and we will continue to wrap our heads around sports topics throughout the fan morning show next mm-hmm. we got neil schuster of the no laying up podcast talk a little golf we got the golf guy we should talk some golf we'll do that next the smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports the fan drive time with ben ennis subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Brent Gunning, Justin Cuthbert, endeavoring to connect with one Neil Schuster of the No Laying Up podcast. That's okay. We can, uh, should we track him down? Very happy to talk to him. If not, very happy to talk to you, Cuthbert. I enjoyed our chat with Morosi. Mm. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed talking a lot of Blue Jays with you. I enjoyed regaling you with tales from my high school tennis career, which I did not expect to be getting into no, I enjoyed at that. all today. That was, that, that was your favorite part thus far? So far, yeah. Mm, I like Morosi better than that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, in terms of the world of golf, there are some changes coming. Uh, the biggest one for our purposes is the RBC Canadian Open. It has a new date. Uh, for the first time in the tournament's history, it's going to be played in May, and I would love to sugarcoat it for you, but... It's not, not good. It's not great. It's not great. You can talk yourself into it. If you want to do that, you can talk yourself into it being a good date, but it's not one. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts and opinions on the uh, the Canadian Open's new date uh, in a second. But right now, we're going to talk to you from the No Laying Up pod, one of my favorite golf pods. And because no one else is here, I'll be honest. My favorite from that pod, Neil Schuster, joining <laughs> us now. Neil, how's it going, man? Thanks for jumping on. Justin and Brett, thanks for the kind words. Appreciate the support. Always, uh, always happy to get you on. So I, I don't expect you, I'm throwing you a bit of a curveball off the top. I don't expect you to have an answer off the top of your head, but I do want to put this in your mind. So maybe by the end of the interview, we can get an answer from you. You have many jobs with no laying up, but one of your chief jobs is you're the merch czar. Now, rope hats, they've been very hot in the streets for the longest time. This has been like the hottest piece of golf merch along with a Q-zip, but I feel like everybody's wearing a rope hat now, I say as I'm wearing one right now. What is like the new upcoming piece of golf merch that we need to keep our eyes for? And I'm not even talking about just from you guys, but I'm saying just in general, like what is the piece of merch that everybody's going to be wearing a year from now? Who better to go to than a merch star? Uh, that is a phenomenal question. Uh, you got, you definitely caught me off guard. I just got my coffee I'm sitting here in Brooklyn. Uh, we have a rope sale going on in the NLU pro shop and they're flying off the shelf. So I don't think rope hats are, are done just yet. Okay. I think the easy answer would be hoodies. Okay. Uh, you've heard, heard a lot about hoodies on the golf course. It seems to be widely accepted at this point. You see tour players wearing them. I don't think we're done with the uh, the run on the hoodie bag just yet uh, as, as far as golf. I think there's a lot of room, um, you know, for hoodies to still take over as a appropriate golf attire. All right. Um, but let me, let me think on that because I think visors, mm. when I first started doing the merch, I feel like visors were, were hot in the streets, as you said. 
but I agree with you. Ropats, uh, Ropats are I've kind of taken over. But you know, in, when we when I sell merch, you start to realize like people are very particular about Ropats. Yes. Where the crown is? Is it a five <laughs> panel? You know, is it the same color as the hat? The bill and the hat the same color? A lot of people have massive dome pieces. That's a problem for returns. <laughs> So you have to be very clear. Like there, it's not one size fits all. It's one size fits most. Mm. I, I think is the proper term for hats. I uh, I love that. I'm happy you gave us the hoodie answer. And yes, I agree. That is, uh, there's definitely some some unfettered ground we can cover there. Uh, but rope hats continue to be hot. At least I hope so because I just bought a bunch. So I hope uh, I hope they continue to be hot. Uh, you uh, you know what other thing you 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 do a good job of owning this beat on your pod. Uh, the chief Rory watcher, if if you will. Uh, what do you make of our man? And I, I'm very much in the camp for him as well. What do you make of his year as a whole, right? We've all done the thing where we look at his result in majors and say, ah, how can you sit there and say this was a disappointing year? For the past two years, he's been the best guy far and away in terms of total score and all that, but he also doesn't have one. Like, where are you at on Rory's year? And I, I guess we can go back and look at it as kind of the last two while he's been dealing with all the live stuff. It's something I've thought a lot about. I, I feel like Rory is, I think his golf game is in a really good place. Like I feel like if you look at, you know, him now versus 2014, you know, it's almost been 10 years since he won a major. I feel like he's a better golfer now, but that doesn't always translate. Like I feel like he has more shots. I feel like he plays smarter. I feel like he's gotten better with his wedges. There's a lot of stuff that, um, that looks better to my eye, but that hasn't translated into a win. And that at this point in his career is probably all that matters. Right. Like I think if you ask him, um, which we have, I, you know, it's all about majors for him. So what I appreciate about Rory is that he's vulnerable on that topic, that he says like, yes, I'm devastated that I didn't win one this year. Like that's, it's another year goes by. Like, you know, I'm just as upset as you are. Is kind of the answer you're probably going to get from him. And I appreciate that from a, you know, um, a guy that's like supremely talented out there and, and the strokes gained and all the numbers, especially over the past couple of years show that he's in the top, you know, basically three, four golfers as far as ball striking and consistency goes. It just hasn't translated into into a win. So I guess I re, I remain hopeful, and I'm willing to, uh, you know, I, I think you can call me biased, but I, I just find myself rooting for him. Like I'd like to see him break through and, and uh, win next year, especially at Augusta. I think that would be uh, good for golf, and I think that would just be really fun to watch. So we're coming off a busy-ish weekend, I guess, in the world of golf. Uh, we had Justin Thomas collapsing to the ground as the FedEx Cup standings were firmed up. Lucas Glover winning at the Wyndham. But I got to ask you and start with Bryson DeChambeau's 58. Did you locate the CW and cheer him along uh, as he had a record-breaking, if you want to call it that, performance uh, on the Live Tour? Uh, you know, I listen, I caught the highlights. I got to be honest, guys. I was out in Lake Tahoe on a, a friend's bachelor party, so I was pretty unplugged on the golf this weekend. <laughs> That's the, be- the beauty of uh, our business is I've got, you know, my brother and, and my partners can, we can kind of all take a, a week off. Uh, it did seem like, uh, I mean, listen, first off, Bryce, you shoot 58, you know, I've, we've got a video where I played from the uh, forward tees to try to break par. And, <laughs> I did break par and it was so fulfilling. So my point being like, I don't care how long the course is. I don't care where you're playing. 58 is 58, like hats off to Bryson. That's incredible. Um, but it also sounded like the Wyndham was exciting. And I think a big reason for that is that it's actually something on the line these days, right? Like set top 70 instead of top 125 getting into the FedEx cup playoffs. I think that gave Wyndham 
some juice. It gave the tournament a narrative um, because you're talking about a guy like just Justin Thomas on the bubble instead of, you know, somebody like, you know, no offense to like JJ Henry or Zach Blair, a friend of ours, but like, it's not as, uh, I don't know. It doesn't mean as much when you're, when you start getting into the, uh, into the hundreds and oh man, he's on the bubble. It's like, well, I don't even, you know, casual golf fan doesn't even really know who those people are, but you can see when, you know, Justin Thomas has fallen to the ground, as you said, uh, you know, these guys want it and it has Ryder cup implications. And I think it was a, uh, an exciting finish to the uh, regular season. Yeah, that was the kind of that was kind of the way I looked at it, right? Like, obviously, if you go to tour execs and say, "Do you want Justin Thomas in your tour championship?" They'd say, "Of course, yes, we very much want that." But it needs to be somebody of Justin Thomas's level to have the stakes. Like, you know, again, like we can go. No offense to even more notable player, like no offense, Joel Damon, right? But if it's yeah. him there, that we're all excited and we all know him. And anybody who watched the Netflix show, okay. But to the super casual, it's just not crossing over. Like, you need it to be one of those. Hand- full of guys so again uh sorry jt sucks to be you but thanks for for taking the bullet uh where, where are you at on on him as a Ryder cup guy i mean he's gonna need a captain's pick we've seen this movie before of hey the boys like him he's not in form right now but you gotta he's part of the team uh but we know how deep that american team is uh we know how difficult it is over in europe if you are a captain are you putting him on uh, if I'm a captain, I'm not putting him on. Yeah, and that's agreed. no shade to, to uh, JT. Um, I mean, I think if, if he does end up on the team, I, I think he'd be productive, and I think he'd be a positive member of the team. But I just think there's too much depth with the U.S. team. There's a, a lot of guys already in that top 15 to 20. I mean, you look at Finau, I think he's at 18 right now. He's another guy. And, and I think if you take a long-term perspective on this, and it kind of speaks to what we were just talking about with the playoffs, but a guy like Ricky. Look at the story now of him coming back from, you know, the brink of retirement, I guess you could say, maybe not retirement, but like he was pushing up into the, you know, high 100s in his world ranking or his FedEx Cup ranking. And now he's back. He's, you know, he's won this year. He's, I think he's, he should be on the Ryder Cup team. And he had to sit, you know, he had to sit out uh, a year. You know, he wasn't on the President's Cup team. And then when he comes back, I feel like that's a better story. And that's, that's earned. And, if the, you know, I think if golf in general and the powers that be took more of a long-term perspective on some of this stuff, it creates a better story and a more authentic story instead of just like, well, you know, he's a big name. We got to get him on the slot. He's, you know, he's Captain America. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. I wouldn't put him on. I also don't even, and you know, I don't know that this has been bandied about. I guess it's not a possibility. Zach Johnson's named all his captains, but like, I don't even like the idea of him just being there in a golf cart and cruising around. Like, if you're an able-bodied player and you should be on the team, I don't want you there as a like vice captain to be out there hanging around in the guys with with golf carts. Like I, I think your your point is well made of just how kind of deep the the uh, team is. This has been a question I've been asking everybody, and I don't have a good answer for it myself. So it could just be an open-ended discussion. But what do we want the game of golf to look like going forward? As you know, we know there were some changes to next year's calendar. Nothing is set in stone in terms of the too distant future here. But you know, I remember looking back at the Scott. Open and thinking, wow, this is awesome that a national open has such a great field and a big moment. Obviously, you know what happened up here at the Canadian, the RBC Canadian Open. I would love a world where maybe some of these national opens mattered more on kind of a rotating basis or something. What do you want the game of golf to look like going forward? And that can be as kind of narrow or as wide a vision as, as you want. Yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, 
that's a big topic. Um, I agree with you on the national opens. I think um, if there is a benefit to the schism in golf that we've had, I think it, it, for me particularly, it's opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, the PGA tour is us you know, centric, which is great for me if I live in the U S but I think there's a lot of golf fans around the world. And so working in more of a world tour component somehow uh, is, is, you know, interesting to me. Now the logistics of that are tough. And, you know, I think the money involved is tough as well. Finding somebody to, you know, sponsor tournaments outside of a big market like the U S is, is probably why it's U S centric. Um, but I think the Scottish Open and the Canadian Open are good examples of that. So, I mean, shout out to RBC, shout out to Genesis for stepping up yeah. the shows. Because for me, I just want to see different types of golf. My biggest frustration with the PGA Tour, other than the commercial load and it being very difficult, you know, to enjoy, uh, and I have to, you know, watch it for a living, is uh, the fact, like the, the lack of, of different types of golf um, is the like like the different styles of golf. So I'd like to see more links golf. I'd like to see different, you know, countries featured. What, what, you know, we do a lot of travel golf, you know, video stuff on YouTube. And it's, it's my favorite thing is going to a different country and understanding like, what does golf look like here? And if there was a way to work that in more to the, uh, you know, kind of annual golf calendar, that would be great. What I worry about is that we're, you know, it feels like PGA tour HQ right now is, has a lot of big problems. And what we're doing is digging through the thesaurus and we're going from elevated to designated to signature. It's like, <laughs> let's just pick a name guys. Like we're moving deck chairs around here. Like I think we got other things to worry about. Um, so sometimes I feel like we're just kind of putting a, putting lipstick on the same thing uh, a little bit, uh, which worries me. Um, but I, overall, I feel like, I mean, the, the majors are in a great spot. I thought all four of them this year were, were outstanding. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I, the problem though, to me is there are just so many golf tournaments that trying to make anything outside the majors like matter gets harder and harder. And so you kind of throw money at the problem and then, but there's not a lot of, uh, a, a lot of juice otherwise. So hopefully shrinking the now signature events to eight events makes them a little bit more meaningful. Um, and then maybe that allows you to get more experimental with the other tournaments on the calendar. See, I'm just, I think less might be more here and maybe the only thing you need, the simplified approach, just what John Ron wants. And that's porta potties on every hole. Like, is that so hard, Neil? No, it's not. Again, I think we're losing, like, we're, we're digging through the thesaurus instead of talking about the, the, uh, the things that matter. Porta potties matter. I'm with John on that. I agree with you there. Um, but I think other than, other than, you know, some of these kind of schedule issues, I think, you know, this whole the, the live and PJ stuff has been, you know, a soap opera, but I would like to see the game unify, right? Like it sucks that it kind of split apart, you know, what, a month, two years ago. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to come back together. Nobody really knows that. I don't even think the people that are trying to figure it out, you know, at the top know what's going to happen. Uh, but that's why the majors, I think we're so good this year because we're not seeing the top golfers play together. And uh, I think that's really important. So the more opportunities we can get to do that. And, you know, if it was possible to get that around the world, I think that would be kind of the, uh, the best case scenario. Yeah, it certainly would be. And uh, just, just going back to Rom, you know, him and Rory, just both fighting for the things that matter in the game, right? Like Ron's the every man. He wants to sit down and do his business and Rory, you know, taking care of like the big picture stuff, but just like, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I don't think people realize how, 
I don't know, funny, ornery, whatever word you want for John Rahm is. Like, it got a lot of play, I feel like, early on in his career of, hey, this guy's a little hot-headed. But because we've been so focused on a million other things, I don't think people quite realize what a what a character John Rahm is. So, again, I'm just telling you things you know, but uh, isn't he the best? Well, I would I would agree wholeheartedly. I think I was one of those people that was, like, not a huge Rahm fan. But the more you hear him speak, and, and keep in mind, He's doing all his interviews in a second language yeah. and he's got a better vocabulary than I do. You know, it's, <laughs> it's sure. like he, he learned to speak English in, at Arizona state, you know, and like, it's crazy. And so I think he's really thoughtful and he's, you know, he said like, yeah, I get hot under the collar, but it's almost like, so do you when you play golf, like every amateur golfer ever. And I kind of appreciate that. Like he's not going to change. He's very aware of his, role in golf and his and the way he's portrayed uh but he just kind of goes about his business and if you ask him a question you're going to get a thoughtful answer from him uh, and i really appreciate that I, I feel like it it's almost detrimental in today's world for any athlete to actually speak their mind and i think that's why i like rom and I, I another reason i like rory i feel like you know people can think like oh well, you know you need to like kind of shut up and play golf like no i mean this is kind of what you want from superstars, right? We complain in the U S about how NBA guys and NFL guys don't, you know, they don't say much because they have a whole team of PR people around them and they're kind of shielded from it. So I appreciate it when these guys that are, have a big profile speak their mind. Last one for you, Neil, uh, playoffs begin this weekend. FedEx St. Jude at TBC Southwind is, is there one major storyline for you leading into a, a month or so of playoffs? Well, I think there's a lot of parity at the top of golf right now. I mean, you've got mainly the, the top three. You've got you start to go down the leaderboard at a limited field event. And you've got obviously Scotty, and you've got Rom, and you've got Rory. And you're like, oh my god, you know the odds are telling me, and and you know based on the, like the strokes gained stuff, like those three have separated. But then you start to go down the leaderboard even farther, and you're like, oh my god, you got Cantlay, you got Xander. Like those guys are heavy hitters too, and at a course in Memphis, it's kind of a birdie fest. It, it's, it still feels pretty wide open on who's going to make the, uh, the playoffs kind of their, their thing. Cantley did it you know, a few years ago where it's like, who's going to get hot, right? And I think there's names like from one to probably 10, like the top 10, it, it almost feels like a toss-up. So I think that's kind of the story. It's like, it's just tough to be like, Oh my God, you know, like Sky's going to run away with it. It's not just one guy. I, I don't even think it's three guys. I think those three guys are clearly the top three, but I think there's 10 guys that can, you know, like just kind of run away with, with the playoffs if they really want to. Similar to how like Billy Horschel did it. Um, I don't know. That was probably like seven or eight years ago now. Yeah, Gator, uh, Gator chomping in front of all those Bulldog fans. Not a popular man uh, in Georgia, but a very popular one in Florida. I do remember that. Uh, Thoroughly enjoyed it, quite honestly, Uh, just like I enjoyed this. Neil, thank you so much. We started off talking merch, and we ended up talking about Billy Horschel Gator chomping. So really uh, just a wide-ranging golf conversation. Uh, Thanks so much for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great morning. There he goes, Neil Schuster, co-founder and co-host of the No Laying Up podcast. Want to let everybody know, as of August 1st, for a limited time, Canadians can get their hands on newest McFlurry flavor from McDonald's Canada, the Squishmallow McFlurry. To celebrate this latest addition to the McFlurry lineup, we'll be giving away prize packs of $100 McDonald's gift cards all week. All you have to do is tune in to the Fan Morning Show, listen for our daily code word, and text it to 590-590. Today's code word is... 
soft serve. Text soft serve to 590-590 for your chance to win a $100 McDonald's gift card. I just grabbed the wheel. My uh, card. Yeah, we're piecing together the Squishmallows Flurry. We got soft serve. We got blueberry yesterday. Two words soft serve as opposed to yesterday's one word. Before we go to break here, you mm. have to just tell us why May is not a good time for the Canadian Open. I mean, part of it is being sandwiched between majors, marquee events, and another major. Part of it is have you played golf outside in May in Canada? Could be speaking of Squishmallows. Could be a little squishy on the ground, a little wet, a little cold, a little soggy. Could be not the ideal elements there. Uh, and just from a kind of calendar perspective, the other part of it as well is, you know, this is part of what it means to have a national open. If you want to be one of these elevated prestige, whatever word they're going with events, you can't have it be an open tournament where anybody can qualify and try to get into it. So that's the other part of it that kind of hampers the Canadian Open. I think that's a really important thing, and it's something they have to find a way to dance around. But that's the uh, the other part of uh, the, the golf calendar because some people were hoping that with RBC's other tournament being a designated special, whatever we're calling it these days, the hope was maybe Canada would get that, but then you lose a lot of what makes the Canadian Open the Canadian Open. We got a busy final hour. Next, we're going to catch up with Brandon Bean, Buffalo Bills general manager, talk about what's going on in training camp and the season ahead. Of course, a lot of expectations, although the hype might not be quite what it was last year. And to close the show, we'll bring on Jeff Blair to talk a little Blue Jays co-host of Blair and Barker will wrap things up for us. It's Brandon Bean next on the Fan Morning Show.